You're listening to the Heart and Hustle podcast. We are your hosts, Evie Rupp and Lindsay Roman. Welcome back to the show. We are stoked you're here in our corner. Whether you're coming at us in your car speakers or your headphones while working or doing the dishes or listening on a walk, we are so freaking thankful that you chose to listen to our show today. Genuinely. Thank you for being here. Thank you for existing. And we are just so happy you're here in our corner. Now, today's episode is a treat. We have a returning guest on the show, so you know it's going to be a good one. She was one of our very first guests, Natalie Frank. Seriously, if you haven't yet listened to her first interview, it is episode number five. It'll make you cry all the good tears and inspire the crap out of you. So go listen to that right now if you haven't yet. We will link it for you in the show notes. Now, if you're not familiar with her, Natalie Frank Hayes is an entrepreneur, a mobilization marketer, a community builder, and a neuroscience nerd. And as one of the founders of the Rising Tide Society, the head of community at HoneyBook, and author of Built to Belong, she leads tens of thousands of creatives and small business owners while fostering a spirit of community over competition around the world. Today, we had this incredible, insightful, beautiful-hearted woman back on the show to chat all things community in our world today. And if you've ever struggled with the comparison trap or finding yourself looking at friends or even other people online and and feeling triggered with jealousy or discouragement or competition or anything else, then you need this episode. Today, we talk with Natalie all about competition in life and how it is both healthy and detrimental, how to distinguish the two, how to fight for community, how to overcome comparison, and why we so desperately need each other in this world around us, especially in this pandemic era that we're currently facing. We discuss being friends with competitors and pursuing meaningful relationships online, ways to recognize and deal with our own insecurities and issues when we feel jealous of someone else's success, when to actually step away from something that's triggering us, and so much more. Seriously, if you are ready to be given a boatload of powerful truth that will change your life, you need to keep listening. Natalie just communicates with so much power and simplicity that you'll be either crying or screaming yes throughout this entire episode. And we promise your life will be changed after listening to this and implementing Natalie sh- what Natalie shares today. So I'll go ahead and shut up and we can just get started with today's conversation. So one, two, three, cue the music. You're listening to the Heart and Hustle podcast with Evie Rupp and Lindsay Roman, two photographers turned entrepreneurs and founders of the Heart University. If you're a creative entrepreneur or a motivated dreamer wanting to make the most of your life, this podcast is for you. Each week, Evie and Lindsay bring you actionable tools to uplevel your business and life. So if you're ready to step up to the plate and pursue your God-given potential, you're in the right place. You're ready to live your life and run your business to its fullest? Then buckle up, because here are your hosts, Evie and Lindsay. Natalie, welcome back to the freaking show. I am so excited. Well, we are so excited to have you. (laughs) You were legit one of our first guests on the show, episode number five, if anybody wants to go back and listen, and you should, just FYI. Um, But we're stoked to have you back on. Thank you for being here. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. Oh man, I'm so excited. So excited. So for anybody that maybe didn't listen to that episode or just, I don't know, has lived under a rock and doesn't know who you are, (laughs) could you just like give us a brief rundown of who you are, what you do, all the juice? 
Oh man, all the juice. What a phrase. I'm stealing that one. <laughs> I I wear a lot of hats. I have been an entrepreneur for over a decade. I've built and sold companies. I, at my root though, am a creative. I started as a wedding photographer, created and co-founded the Rising Tide Society, have been a part of that for over six years. I joined the HoneyBook team and I'm head of community over at HoneyBook. And I'm also an author. My very first book, Built to Belong, it's here, man. It is here. Woo! And so yeah. wearing, wearing a lot of hats, but I will say, I think above all of those, the one that I'm most proud of is that I'm a mom to a two-year-old that I hope is quiet on today's podcast <laughs> recording um, and have a, a little bun in the oven that um, is a real miracle from the Lord. So just very mm-hmm. grateful to be a mom and to be a wife in the season on top of the business hats that I'm also, of course, very proud of. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, you are a powerhouse, Natalie. And anybody who knows you knows that. So it's an honor to have you as a friend and back on this podcast twice. Um, so you talked a little bit about your book, Built to Belong. Mm-hmm. Do you want to walk us through like what was the inspiration behind wanting to write this book for the world? Yes. Look, here's the truth. We are at war right now. We are at war with a culture of competition, a culture that pits us against one another, a culture that uh, incites fear and insecurity and doubt and feelings of scarcity in spaces where it doesn't belong. Mm -hmm. We are operating in, in a space where we look at one another, not as friends, but often from a lens of like, is this person a threat? Can I trust them? You know, are they going to steal my ideas? Are they really going to celebrate me? Or, you know, and and all of these questions come into play, not just in the small business world, but in every single aspect of our lives. You know, I wanted to write this book because I'm tired of every part of our life feeling like a competition. Mm -hmm. Every single part, not just the parts that are competitive, not just entrepreneurship, not just, um, you know, maybe athletics or, competition, you know, in the arena that you would expect, but I mean, everything from kids to marriage, to dating, to bodies, to happiness, to salaries, to houses, to style, to aesthetic, to Instagram feeds, to followers, you name it, it's a competition. And so Mm. I felt the need to write this book because we deserve better. All Mm. of us deserve better. And we were made for so much more. We were created for something so much richer and deeper in our relationships with others in this shallow water that we've been wading in for so long. And so Built to Belong was really born out of that. It was born out of seeing what can happen when we change the our own mindsets and when we fight back against this culture of competition. Oh, oh my gosh. Freaking, <laughs> I'm like not sure whether to cry or cheer or maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> um, Natalie, do you want like, do you have thoughts? I guess this is not a planned question whatsoever, but when hearing you say that, I'm like, gosh, that is so true. Like, Mm -hmm. why is it that we compare and compete over the most like personal of things that varies for every single person? You know, like what our family life looks like, what our kids, you know, like just whatever. Um, Do you have like insight, you know, having researched and written and all of this, like what, do you feel is one of the biggest like triggers of that, I guess? Mm. So I did an immense amount of research for the book, as you can imagine. And I will say for anyone that reads this book, walk into it knowing that it is going to transform the way you think about competition and also walk into it knowing that it's nothing like you expect. And Mm. I've heard that from every single person that's read this book because they walk into it and they go, I learned a ton. And part of what I learned in researching this book is that our brains, yes, 
are, are created for community, but we cannot forget that we are also wired for competition. Mm-hmm. Our brains are actually wired to compete and competition in and of itself. Let me be very clear. It's not an inherently negative thing. Competition yeah. is actually meant to serve a purpose for our bodies. It, it gives us a, a boost of, you know, neurotransmitters that help us to perform better. I call it a performance enhancing drug of the brain, essentially. And, yeah. you know, citing a lot of different psychological studies that have been done that show that we perform better simply in the presence of other human beings. So whether that is, you know, at work, at play, um, with, with physical competition, if we're, we're, you know, working out and they've shown, they've done studies and they've shown even weightlifters, but weightlifters will lift more weight simply with one other person watching them, yeah. let alone competing against them than they will practicing alone. And this spans not just the human race, but all sorts of different animal species that have been studied yeah. like worker ants are a great example. And I talk about that in the book. So competition isn't inherently bad, but here's what I think has happened. I kind of talk about it in the book in a a lot of different contexts, but I'll break it down in in two, two distinct segments. The first being that we've allowed competition to lean into an unhealthy space. And I, I cite very specific ways that competition can be healthy and unhealthy, but one of the key factors that identifies whether your competitive nature is healthy and in check or unhealthy and kind of reaching beyond its scope is whether or not it remains in the arena. Whether or not mm. the competition stays where it's meant to be, and I'll give you an example in the small business space. Um, you know, it, it's clear if two photographers work in the same market, they're going to compete for business. Where competition is healthy is when you're sitting down with a client, you're giving it your all. If you're trying to win a, a contract or get someone to book you, you know, you're not going to obviously do anything to harm the competition in the space, but you're going to show up as your best self. You're going to show up and give it your all and compete for that business and do what you have to do. And then the minute you're out of that client meeting, if you pass that person on the street, how do you treat them? How do you view them? When you see their Instagram pop up on your feed, what does that make you feel? And if the answer is, I feel jealous, I feel, feel fearful, I feel insecure, then competition is unhealthy. If you see that person and you think, Oh no, that's my friend. We work in the same market. We have each other's backs. If anything were ever to happen, if she were to get sick, I'm going to be the first one to show up for her. Mm. If she, you know, got in a tough spot and a memory card corrupted, I would be the first person to be helping her figure out how to get that fixed. You see the difference there? Yeah. It's, It's about understanding the arena and the bounds of competition. And as long as it's, it's within that, that context, it, it remains fairly healthy. And there are other things too that I talked about in the book, but that's that's the, the key one. And then the other issue though, and so we, we've allowed it as a side note yeah. to kind of become more pervasive. We've allowed it to impact all these different places in our lives. And that, that leads me to the second point and this reason why I think this is happening. And that's because we've experienced a technological shift that we still don't quite understand. Mm-hmm. Our brains are wired for a set of conditions that no longer exist. We aren't meant to choose life partners by swiping left and right (laughs) in less time than it takes to have a conversation, okay? When we used to do our our daily lives, like I I think about even my grandmother and grocery shopping for our family, she'd go to a grocery store or a local market. She'd often know the person who was literally slicing the deli meat behind the counter and she'd have a conversation with them. She might even know... You know, when she she used to talk to me about, she knew someone down the road that would grow certain produce and she'd just buy it from her local farmer. Today, mm-hmm. a lot of us order our groceries on an app on our phone without even knowing who is the person to walk into the store to gather those items for us. 
mm-hmm. let alone the person that drives it to our doorstep and drops it off with contactless delivery. Yeah. My point being, we have become so removed from one another that we've started watching one another from a distance instead of loving one another up close. Wow. And the further we move apart emotionally, the further we lean into spaces where jealousy and competition can exist and can thrive in the corners of our mind. When we're not able to see someone as a human being, to empathize with what they're going through, to know their family, know, know what they're navigating in their life, we start to accept the highlights that we see on social media as the real truth. We start to make snap judgments about who they are based on one thing they say or one thing they do. And we don't peel back the layers to really love them up close. And that lets competition twist us into positions where we're further isolated, further pitted against one another and living and operating in separate corners rather than doing life together. Oh Oh, my Lord. I have 5 million (laughs) things that I want to say off of that. Like I, I, okay, first of all, I feel like that almost explains kind of like even just the technological situation of like why you would get more hate comments online versus in person because things mm-hmm. that you say online, because we're physically apart, because there is that distance of technology, you're not interacting or, or viewing somebody like a human being. You're viewing them as a, as a keyboard or as like a, a face, a picture on the internet, right? And that the, the humanity is taken um, and not in there in that moment. So I think that definitely, like you said, like plays a huge part, but I'm so curious, especially just in the last like year or two now that we've had of mm-hmm. COVID, how you think that plays a role? Cause like, I agree, like we, we understand community and the importance of it so much more when we kind of like lay down technology, but I feel like COVID, if anything has made that like us lean into technology, which is great because obviously technology is still a blessing especially when there's things like COVID happening and we physically can't be together. But how do you think like, like, well, I guess I don't even know what question I'm asking. I'm just dialoguing. Yeah. (laughs) But like, what do you think the future of community looks like? I mean, obviously COVID knock on wood won't last forever, Lord. Mm -hmm. But like, I guess what, how do we navigate the world of COVID and technology? Like, especially those together, I feel like just make your argument like so much even worse almost, right? Like how do we mm-hmm. overcome that as people that want community? Oh, I have so much I want to say here. So I'm going to go as quick as I can first. Okay. I admit in the book that I've been wrong about one thing for a very long time. And that is that I used to believe that online community wasn't true community. I came into building Rising Tide with the notion that in-person was truly the only route to building authentic community. I really, I truly believe that. I thought, you know, online was an imitation. I thought um, a lot of things. I even at one point doodled something that said, you know, let's not be internet friends. Let's be real friends. Oh, Mm -hmm. how I wish I could take some of that back. Because (laughs) here's what I've actually learned. Okay. And I, there's a whole chapter on this. It's called digital togetherness. What I've learned is, is kind of multifaceted and nuanced, but here, here's the reality of, of where we are and where I think community is going. So where we are is we've endured a collective trauma over the last 18, 19, 20 months. We've gone through something very, very difficult and we haven't been able to rely on the traditional routines and community intersections that have held us together as a society for a very long time. And these aren't complicated things. I'm talking about, for some folks, you know, this means they haven't gone back to church 
physically in over mm-hmm. a year and a half. I'm one of those people. I haven't walked into a church and, and I've been watching online, but I'll be honest, it's, it's different. It, it really threw me out of, out of my routine. And I'm not mm-hmm. going physically into a church. They're not going physically into a grocery store. Maybe they're not showing up at an office where they would have worked and met with coworkers or gone to a coffee shop to, to co-work with other creatives. Mm-hmm. The reality is we've lost some of those natural intersection points that bring us together. And that has played a role because for some folks, when they go through a difficult season, they have a tendency to retreat. Mm-hmm. When they're confronted with overwhelm, with burnout, with fear, with, you know, whatever it is that they're navigating, whether that's pandemic, whether that's lifestyle, whether that's business, like whatever it is that they're enduring, some people have a tendency to retreat. And oftentimes what keeps them going are those woven routines and intersections that force them from isolation in their homes out into the world with other people where they can be seen and heard and valued on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And we haven't had that. So I think in in one respect, that has led to what we're seeing with this increase in loneliness. A lot of folks are referencing this as the loneliness epidemic, but essentially new research came out that said one in 10 women don't have a single close friend. Wow. Right? 15% of men also indicate not having a single close friend. And I know I, I believe in quality over quantity when it comes to relationships and friendships, but not one single close friend should set alarm bells off for everyone. And this, by the way, is increasing in severity. So it's not something that's just existed. We're seeing this as a a trend um, because when they looked at over the last 12 months, now the study's a little bit dated now, we're maybe rewinding about three to four months, but over the last 12 months, really the 12 months of the pandemic onset, um, 10% of people noted losing touch with most of their friends during the pandemic. So this loneliness epidemic is kind of roaring in the ethos. And then we pivot and ask the question, okay, but what about online? What about online community? Can that solve the problem? And I believe, yes, it can. But in order for online community to start to fill the voids of where we're missing that in-person interaction, where we're longing for that one-on-one connection in the chaos, We have to start using technology as if we're actually trying to connect with others and not just using it to entertain ourselves and consume content. Yeah. Because those are two distinct things. And so what I think sometimes we forget is like, is the potential there? Yes. But are we really using these platforms to connect with one another? No, we're not. Um, And and we're up against a lot. But let's be honest, you know, things like Instagram, things like TikTok, I mean, TikTok might be an exception because it originated in a different country, but we can use Instagram, Facebook, for example. They're built by Silicon Valley scientists who are trying to make a profit. Mm -hmm. They're built by brilliant human beings who are going to do everything in their power to keep you scrolling longer. Do you remember when Facebook used to have a next button? Like you would scroll to the bottom of the content and you had to actually hit, y'all might not, I don't know if you remember this, but I do. You had to hit like next page. Yeah, I forgot. But now now that you say that, I remind you. I'm like, oh, (laughs) wow. Yeah, you know why they got rid of that? Because by the time you hit that reminder, a lot of people would stop. They would be like, consuming. oh, I've been scrolling a while. Let me get off. Mm-hmm, right. Yep. So what do they do? They, get, they create what we now call the endless scroll because it keeps you consuming. Why yep. are we pushing video content? Because people stay on the platform longer when they're watching yep. video content than when they're consuming imagery and captions alone. Yep. Yep. These shifts are to drive profits into the pockets of these platforms, not to connect us more deeply with one another. And so Mm -hmm. when we open a platform and we just begin to scroll, what we're doing is we're actually consuming the content of other people rather than connecting with the creators behind them. Watch, Remember, we're watching people from a distance and Mm -hmm. not loving them up close. And so 
I think, you know, one of the biggest things that I've learned in not just living as a human being in, in this current season, but also in researching for this book is that there is a way to more deeply connect with others. And the internet is such a powerful tool to do it. We just have to A, acknowledge where these, these pitfalls are, where we're falling into these traps of scrolling and scrolling without either creating something of value on the platform or connecting with other people once we've created that content or on the content they're creating in a meaningful way, in a way that seeks to build relationships, it seeks to get to know them, cheer for them, champion them, not just scroll passively, consume passively and start to spiral into that comparison trap, right? Which is what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we have to be able to, to kind of forge a new path forward. And, and, you know, we have an opportunity to do that in a way that no one else ever has. On one side, technology is, kind of pulling us into our separate corners. And in the other respect, on the other side of that, it also though is presenting us with an opportunity to fight back, with yeah. an opportunity to connect with anyone from anywhere, not be bound by geography, not be bound by like, you know, I think about both of you all the time. I mean, y'all don't live next door. You know, you've yeah. been able to yeah. foster, right? I mean, I know you'd love that. Like, I know that would be a blast. <laughs> and we'd all love following along. Literally, Evie makes a habit of sending me reels or TikToks that are like two girls doing like stupid things. And she's like, move. <laughs> <laughs> right? But my point being like, I, you, you don't look next door. I mean, you should. Maybe you guys go create a commune one day. And yes. um, like, I, I love like the cottage core, like raise chickens and have like, yes. a, you could do oh, the whole yes. thing. I could totally see y'all doing it. Um, yes. But until then, you know, what you do though, is you fight for each other's friendships on the internet. Mm-hmm. You yeah. fight for one another. I see y'all commenting, cheering, hyping each other up, big life events, small life events. It doesn't matter. You are for one another. And if you're listening to this, that is what we're fighting for. Okay. What we're yeah. fighting for is Lindsay and Abby friendship. We're fighting for friendships that aren't just shallow wading in the water of, you know, like I see you, you see me. Hi, how are you? But like, let's do life together. Let yeah. me show up for you. Right. Let me really be there for you, not just in the highlights, but in the things that you're not even sharing on social media. Let's let's get there. And I do believe the online route can help us get there. Yeah. I really do. But I think a lot of us are still consuming content rather than connecting with others. And that's a great yeah. place to shift. Yeah. Uh-huh. Do you feel like, Natalie, that that social media, I mean, I feel like you kind of basically said this, but that social media can fill the like surface level void that we feel from lack of community without actually meeting the need and like going deep. So we, we like scroll on the app for like, you know, 20 minutes or something. And we feel like, because we've DM'd a couple people and like, you know, whatnot, like we feel like we've had our social interaction, but it is not truly deep social, like it's not the intentional, like community building that you're talking about, but yet we like, our brain is tricked almost into feeling fulfilled. Mm, yes. You know, I, there's a line in the book that says, you know, it feels like we're breathing, but we're inhaling artificial air. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, we're, we're consuming something that in many cases isn't what we actually need. So it's yeah. Yeah. in the same respect that look, when people say, you know, I'm struggling with comparison, I hear everyone's advice. Oh, everyone's advice I've ever heard is, well, turn off your phone. And I feel the same way about that advice. I'll be honest, like, you know, turning off your phone when you're when you're in the scroll of comparing yourselves to others or unfollowing. This is a really good example. So when I was going through infertility um, treatment last year, we were having failed round after failed round after failed round. And friends started to announce that they were pregnant. Yet again, it was like those pangs of jealousy just felt like they were ripping me apart. Yeah. And I had a friend of mine say, well, just unfollow, unfollow anyone who's getting pregnant. And I looked at her and I said, that's not going to solve the pain because they're not the problem. 
Yeah. It's, it's my heart. My heart is aching. I need to get to a place where I can be happy for her and sad for me. I need to get to a place where like I can celebrate and and experience the joy with her and still acknowledge my own wounds in a way that is validating. Like that turning off my phone is just masking the symptom. It's not curing the disease. Mm. It's just, it's just enabling me to get that one more breath in so that I can then open the phone and, and be confronted with it all over again, instead of addressing the fact that this, this way of operating on this platform isn't enabling me to really love that person well. And I can't do that if I'm just watching them from a distance. And so yeah. I, I kind of, I think that, I think you're nailing something with that in regards to like, you know, how we use social media. Is it really filling the need that we have? I think 99% of people no, I don't think it is feeling the need that they have. Yeah. I think it's the band-aid, but not really healing what's underneath. I think mm-hmm. in the same respect, again, with that, the advice we hear from comparison, like take a break, take a break. Does it help? Of course, you feel better afterwards. Mm-hmm. But then what happens a week later? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yep. So what, I, what I'm trying to advocate for is I don't want you coming back to your phone a week later feeling like you're still longing for connection in the chaos. I don't want you scrolling tomorrow morning when you pick up that phone and then putting it down and realizing you're, you're feeling jealous or worried or stressed or anxious over things that you would never have been even concerned with had you not just consumed the highlight reels of 50 other people doing the exact same thing that you're doing. Yeah. What I want you to do is change the way you're engaging with, with these platforms so that you can leverage their leverage, leverage them to your advantage. Simple advice. Like here we go. Just go throw in some tactical steps here. Cause this is hopefully going to help somebody out there if you're going to open an app, first of all, do you ever open these apps without being consciously aware that you're even opening them? That's a big, mm-hmm. big, big thing. So there, there are different um, programs that can help you to kind of acknowledge that. So one that I've, I've used on and off over the years is called self-control. It's literally called self-control. Amazing. <laughs> install this on your computer and put blacklisted sites and essentially say, okay, I'm not going to, for example, scroll on Facebook, scroll on Twitter, um, you know, go on this or that um, for an hour or two hours, and it will blow your mind how many times you automatically try to go to that website without even being aware of it. Yeah, um, it because it'll shock. It shocked me. I was like, "Whoa! I didn't even know I was trying to go to Facebook." Like, what? It's you like know? our so default. It is. A, it becomes so so unconscious that that yeah. is the first red flag. So first, start catching yourself when you're doing that. Second of all, when you do open the app, go and open that app with intention. Don't make the first thing you do consume the content. Make the first thing that you do either connect with others or create. So you're either mm-hmm. posting and sharing something for the business owners out there, um, especially posting and sharing something, creating something good in the world. And then after that, following up with connection, or if you don't have anything to share, great, show up and connect. Be intentional. Yeah. Make a list of five people, five people that every time you open that app, you're going to start by engaging with five yeah. people. Um, you know, be, be actively engaged in the pursuit of, of cultivating that connection instead of passively consuming the content that's out there. Um, just quick little things that can really change how you feel. And, and do, if you actually do that, DM me and tell you, tell me how you feel after four days, five days, mm-hmm. tell me how that shifts the way you're starting to feel about other people on the platform. Um, another bit of advice I'll throw out there and then I'll be done. I promise is no, you do have those people <laughs> that you're comparing yourself to. I mentioned like, you know, there was a moment I was sitting in the waiting room, um, to get a, an HCG beta test after our third injectable cycle failed last year. And I was waiting. It's, it's really a cruel torture. They like make you go in to get a blood test. You already know is going to tell you you're not pregnant. And I'm waiting in the waiting room. I'm just waiting for this darn test to be over with so I can go home 
and get on with stopping my meds and stop and letting the cycle be over. And, um, the first thing, the first thing on my Instagram was a pregnancy announcement. I kid you not. Uh, I, I open the app and it's a pregnancy announcement. Now listen, everything in me, all my fear, my doubts, my insecurities, all, all of that is screaming, you know, oh my gosh, unfollow, shut the app. Um, you know, you don't need to see that, you know, guard your heart, block it out. But then again, I had just written this darn book and, and I'm like, am I going to take my own advice or what? And so my advice being when you, when you're confronted with those moments, I want you to start to flip your attitude. I want you to start to flip your mindset, not from when someone else wins, it means I'm failing. When yeah. someone else is having success, it means that I'm not prospering. Flip your attitude and say, if it can happen for her, it's going to happen for me. Yeah. If it can happen for them, it's going to happen for me. If it can happen for him, it's going to happen for me. And that's exactly what I did. I saw this pregnancy announcement. And I said, you know what? If it's going to happen for her, it can happen for me. I believe God is calling me into this season. I believe God is continuing to ask me to try to have this baby. Like I know that it's going to happen for me. I feel it in my bones and I'm going to cheer for her. I'm going to cheer for her. I'm going to celebrate her. I'm going to champion every single success that she has. If this is in business, if there's someone in business that you constantly compare yourself to, that you point to and you see, and every time they have a win, every time they post a great reel, every time they like nail the dance on TikTok, I don't know what it is. Whatever is causing you to be insecure, you're going to flip it on your head and say, every time she nails it, it, it's just proof that I can do it too. Every time they land that big client, it is evidence that I can do it too. I'm going to cheer for them. I'm going to champion them. You, It is very hard to be jealous of somebody that you are rooting for yeah. fiercely, right? It is hard to feel insecure when you're on their team, yeah. when you're a part of their team. So let's get on each other's team, right? Oof. Like let's get yeah. on each other's team because then if she's winning, I'm winning too, yeah. No longer am I failing. If she is, you know, crushing it in her business, if she's getting that thing that I'm also fighting for, that I'm working towards, that I'm chasing after, that I am part of the, the winning team. We are all a part of each other's winning team. And that is the power of collectivism. That is the power of rising together. Mm. Oh. I feel like what I'm hearing is letting yourself or like retraining your interactions, not only with the app, but like with your attitude on how you view the app slash other people on it and what you consume on it from being passive to active. Like even just the, the tip that you gave of getting the, uh, what was it? Screen, screen, no. What would the, that website? Oh, self-control. Yeah. Control. Uh, self-control. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I could not think of the word. Like even things like that, like getting self-control, that in and of itself is more of a practical, like, okay, I'm going to stop being passive on letting myself naturally just automatically without thought go to these apps, whether on my phone or the computer and turn it into an active decision where I'm like cognitively doing it or cognitively aware now that I was doing it passively and then I can make different choices. But then also I love what you just said about look like whenever you have those moments of, okay, I, I, it, my instantaneous thought is to feel jealousy. My instantaneous thought is to mute or unfollow. My instantaneous thought is to remove the trigger from the situation. But I love that you're, even in that, you're changing your attitude from passive of like, oh, this is what I'm naturally automatically going to think and assume about this to no, no, let's retrain. Let's look at this. How can I cheer her on? How can I, like, I just love the, the retraining almost from mm-hmm. passive to active, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, because we can't just remove everyone from our life that makes yeah. us feel insecure. That's yeah. not how this works or that, that makes us feel like we're missing out or falling behind or falling short. I had to learn the hard way that those weren't issues that other people were having. Those were issues I was having with me. Yeah. Like that was a hard talk I had to have with myself. It, it was no one else's fault that they were having more success in business 
or that they weren't going through infertility. That wasn't their fault. Now, if they're a jerk about it, okay, we're talking about a whole different category, but I'm talking right, about yeah. passive consumption, right? I'm talking about the assumptions we're making about one another without evidence oftentimes, mm-hmm. right? Because let me tell let me tell you something else. Um, and I'll share this too. And I don't know if this will resonate with anyone out there, but whether it's in business or whether it is in this case, you know, on, on the theme of the infertility struggle I've been on for years and years and years, I was shocked at how many friends would post very simple, happy pregnancy announcements. And then when I started to share about my infertility journey would open up to me about battles they were waging behind the scenes that I had no idea about. Wow. Losses, years of yearning, hardships that I even hadn't experienced. And again, the assumptions we make often about one another in the highlight reel moments, like we we forget human beings are not highlight reels. We forget that human beings are icebergs. We're all little icebergs. It's, you can see the tiniest bit of us above the surface, but gosh, is there not so much depth underneath? Mm -hmm. Every human being is fighting a battle. We have no idea about when we just consume their content on social. And so part of, part of bridging that gap is like being able to say, you know, I may not even know her full story. I might be making the snap assumption and feeling jealous or comparing myself to something that is only a quarter of her reality. Yeah. It's only half the truth that she feels comfortable sharing. No one, no one is required to bear their trauma on the internet, yeah. you know? And so we also have to take that into account. And I think that that goes back to like creating that depth and connection, really reaching out to others. And when, and when that's, you know, not, not able to happen, giving that grace and approaching approaching those situations, trying to see the collective humanity, trying not to judge somebody in a way you wouldn't want to be judged. I wouldn't want to be only seen by my highlights. That's not who I am. You know, like if if you just look at me launching a book at the end of the month and you have no idea that I've walked through brain surgery, dealt with a benign brain tumor, had complications, went through infertility, you know, launched and created a community I was not equipped to lead, had to learn and stumble my way through in public ways, making mistakes left and right, trying just to be a better leader for that community. Like if you didn't know all of those hardships that led into me just writing a book about it, there's a reason I didn't write this book six years ago. Mm-hmm. There's a reason I didn't write this book before I had gone into neurosurgery to remove a tumor from my head. There's a reason I didn't write this book before I had battled insecurities that I do I do open up about in the pages of this manuscript. There's a reason I didn't write this book before navigating infertility and then going through motherhood and then stumbling through it amidst like the preparation for this launch. You know, like there is purpose in that. And I believe I fiercely believe that God had an immense hand in that timing for so many reasons. But I wrote this book six years later because those pits, those those valleys of my life, not the mountaintops, but the valleys, right? They were what taught me what I needed to learn in order to share what I needed to share. And the same applies to every human being we are comparing ourselves to on the internet. We're seeing the mountaintops and we're not even acknowledging the valleys. We're not even seeing the depths that they have gone through to get to that highlight. Mm -hmm. And so I implore us all to remember that. Like human beings are not highlight reels. We are all so much more than that. We are icebergs with so much beauty and depth and hardship underneath. Mm. And and there's such potential when we we choose to view one another through that lens and not just in the little glimmers that we catch on a post or in a caption. Mm. That's Mm. so beautiful. Hey friend, are you a hat girl like us? Well, if you've ever seen a photo of us, pretty much ever. We are almost always wearing a hat on because we love accessorizing any outfit and making it cuter with a good hat. Like literally add any hat to any outfit 
and it is a thousand times cuter and better. So if you've ever seen us wearing a hat, I can guarantee you it was 100% a Gigi Pip hat. In fact, the hats we're wearing in this podcast cover, yeah, they're Gigi Pip. Gigi Pip is inspired by women who wear many hats and their quality and style is literally insane. It's why we choose them over any hat company because their styles are so cute and their quality is next level. We love them to death. So if you want to grab a hat yourself, we have a little treat for you. You can shop Gigi Pip hats using the link in the show notes to receive free shipping with our code heart and hustle. That's all lowercase and with no spaces. If you're ready to see your confidence boosted and look cute as heck, grab a Gigi Pip hat today. I have a question for you. Okay. Do you create so much content you often feel stuck? Uh-huh. Between blog posts, Instagram captions, free recreation, email campaigns, there is so much writing, right? Freaking yes. I've definitely been there and I know how frustrating it can be to feel like you have nothing to talk about. So if you're consistently staring at a blank screen and blinking cursor, we wanted to give you an entirely free guide we just created for you. Guys, our content creation guide is pages of content ideas that you can use to write meaningful captions, blog posts, and more that connect with your ideal audience and create that value and trust that's so vital in order to sell successfully. You can use our ideas directly. There are dozens of them that you can immediately pull from, or you can use them to trigger new ideas for your content creation process. This freebie is so jam-packed that Lindsay and I even go back and reference it when we feel stuck. It that good, fam. If you're sick of not posting or creating any content because your brain feels empty every time you step up to the plate, uh, um, the keyboard, then we got you. Bye-bye, writer's block. Hello, value-filled content. Go to www.theheartuniversity.com slash content or click the link in the show notes. Now go kick some butt and create some content. I have a, a question based on all of that and just kind of hearing like just so much of like pursuing that connection and everything related to it. Um, I guess my question is is like within that, how do you also make sure that you like, I guess your thoughts on boundaries within mm-hmm. it, because I know you're saying like, you know, don't just go on follow, which I'm completely agree with on one hand, but then there's also a side of me that's like, well, if you're following someone that you have no relationship with, like they're not following you back. It's just somebody you started following on the app and you're noticing that consistently there it's negatively impacting your heart and your mind obviously I agree like don't just completely unfollow don't just block out people who trigger you or create you know that competition in your heart or anything like that but is there a time and space to set a boundary and say you know what this isn't benefiting me this is hurting me more than helping me I'm gonna turn to other community like I guess just like is there also like a a flip side of the coin that is that beneficial or is it not? Of course. Yes, of course. And that's what's, that's what's so difficult about these conversations is that they're nuanced, right? Like they're very nuanced. Here's the best way I can help to frame that out. Think of your relationships through a visual of concentric circles working their way outward. So like, you know, a bullseye, right? Little circle, Mm -hmm. bigger circle around it, bigger circle around that and around that. If you think of your relationships like concentric circles, you can also think of them as permeable boundaries. So 
someone who's on the outermost reaches of those concentric circles who maybe doesn't have a reciprocal relationship with you, an influencer you follow on social media. It would be like the farthest lengths of those concentric circles. Whereas on the innermost, it might be your partner, right? Mm-hmm. It might be your best friend, your mom, it, somebody who is has the most intimate look into your life and who you trust wholeheartedly. That would be your innermost concentric. When someone on the farthest reaches is is contributing to your life in a way that is causing more harm than good, of course, that is a different situation mm-hmm. than let's say if that's happening with your mom, right? And so when we deal with, or whoever's in that innermost circle, so when we deal with, you know, situations on the farthest reaches that are are causing us harm, that may be the place to unfollow. That may be the place to say, you know, I know that I got to work on what's going on in my heart, but this person is not contributing to that positively. And there are degrees of that, right? So it could be, yeah. you know, if it's just their successes that they're sharing that are causing you that that harm, that's that's a real moment to kind of dig in with yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's just like, seeing her succeed is causing me pain. Okay, let's address that. Let's figure that out. But if it's like they're contributing content that doesn't align with your values, that yeah. is causing you more fear, is like inciting fear within you. I've had that this year. I mean, the past year, there's a lot of people that have shared things on the internet that I'm like, I don't need to read that. That's terrifying me as a mom of a toddler or, yeah. you know, as my, you know, my little one, like with, with the pandemic, like my little one's unvaccinated. I, I know that there's risks, but being confronted with that content in that way, Um, it it doesn't let me sleep at night. So if you're the farthest reaches of of those concentric circles, of course, guard your heart, protect your heart. What Mm -hmm. I'm really trying to touch on though is those inner, closer to the inner circle, right? The friends you follow on social media, the business owner down the street that you interact with on a a weekly or monthly basis in your industry. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are the situations where I really believe it's worth kind of digging deeper if you can. Um, And also knowing there's a season for everything. Like there are Mm going to be seasons where your cup is so empty. And I hope this never happens to you, but let's be honest. Many of us are there now. Many of us are there right now where we've experienced especially photographers that have, that do events or, you know, have had reschedules of all of 2020, their 2021, 2022 is at an executional capacity that I've never seen before in leading yeah. community as well. They are swamped. They are exhausted. They are tired. They are, their cup is so empty. Look, if you're in a moment where your cup is so empty that you don't have room to do this work and you don't have room to dig deeper into connection, Friends, oxygen mask on yourself first. Okay. Yeah. Like always, all things. It is, it's a nuanced conversation. But if you're yes. in a place of, you know, like I can do this work, I can dig deeper and figure out like why am I comparing myself to Tindy Sue? Like, what is it about <laughs> Tindy Sue that every time she does that TikTok dance, I'm sitting there feeling insecure about my body? Yeah. That's a real mm. example for me. There are girls that can dance on TikTok. I'm like, I am a mid-sized, beautiful woman. But I'm like looking at this and I'm going, I can't, oh my God, that makes me feel insecure. Okay, yeah. that's when I need to address it with myself. Why yeah. is that happening? Now, maybe I don't follow them, but am I going to go follow other folks that are, that maybe make me feel confident, that are d- doing great bo- mm-hmm. body positive, body confident, um, you know, are all about whatever it needs to be for that moment, like filling my feed with the positive without focusing on the negative. There, there's work that can be done, but only when my cup isn't empty, only when your cup isn't empty, yeah. only when you have the capacity to pour into yourself. And I do think some of what I'm hearing and just from the community is that a lot of folks aren't in that place right now. A lot of folks yeah. are in a place of like just trying to stumble in the dark for that oxygen mask. And so what I would encourage is starting with the inner circle first, working yeah. there, working your way outward 
understanding that, you know, you, you have a responsibility to protect yourself, of course, but oftentimes if you catch yourself in these repetitive behaviors of comparing, if you catch yourself kind of hitting the same roadblock over and over again, when it comes to folks on the internet or interactions you have with, with members in your community to do something about it. And that can mean leaning in, in places where it's safe to do that and relationships where you want to pursue deeper connection. And exactly as you said, Evie, in other cases, yeah, maybe it does actually mean leading out. My challenge would just be to be careful in discerning that, be wise in discerning that. And don't mistake sort of, I think, whether it's the fear of leaning in or whether it's, you know, well, it's not my problem. I'm not going to, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with that today for, for like the, the opportunity that could exist if, if we're willing to be honest and vulnerable with one another. Mm, yeah. I love that. Oh man. Okay. Natalie, what advice would you have to somebody who's listening to this, who is ready to lean in, ready to like take those action steps, but like doesn't know maybe what those action steps are, or is, is wanting true community, whether online or in person, do you have any like just advice or or tips for somebody that's scared be, whether they're insecure or whether they're not confident or, or whatever reason, like they're scared to make that first step of starting to reach out to create community, whether it's in person or online. Yeah. Two bits of advice. The first one, I have to be honest here. I want you to buy the book. I'm not kidding. I really, I want you to go read this book. That is the first bit of advice that I have. And I mean it genuinely from the bottom of my heart. I was the one who was scared. I was the one who was living superficially on the outside and feeling so deeply isolated, disconnected, and yearning for true relationships on the inside. Mm-hmm. And this whole book is my roadmap out of that. This whole book is what I've learned over six years of cultivating community for tens of thousands of people. Yeah. And so I, that's my first bit of advice. I mean it. Go read this book. We need this book right now. You need this book right now. Yeah. My next bit of advice, and I talk about this in detail in the book, but to simplify it would be to start one action at a time. Don't try to stress about, you know, if you're feeling lonely or you're feeling like, I want to combat comparison. I want to build these deep relationships. I don't know where to begin. Don't feel overwhelmed with the idea of having to do it all. Start with one conversation with one person that you want to connect with. Mm-hmm. Start with one name that you put on a post-it note behind your computer that you're going to connect with repeatedly over the next month and engage with. If you feel comfortable moving that number up to three or five people, I always say, if I do five. I pick five people every month I'm going to love on, encourage, and support intentionally. And when I catch myself in those moments of doubt or fear, I look right to that post-it note. I go to their profiles. I cheer for them. I encourage them. I drop into their DMs. I reply to their stories. I try to dig deeper. I try to strengthen that relationship in depth, right? Growing deeper roots, not reaching for thousands of people who know my name, but five people who know my heart. Mm-hmm. And that would, be my, that would be my starting place. Like start with one conversation, one person, and build from there. Mm, that's, that's so, so good, good. <laughs> I think it's just a matter of you know like you guys like Lindsay even said earlier of like it's completely shifting our perspective on how we approach like relationships especially through online means and especially as business owners and I love Natalie that you like kind of clarified at the beginning like competition isn't necessarily bad. Like we're wired to be competitive people and there is a place for that. And there is a beauty in that as well, but it has to be in healthy doses and in healthy ways. Um, Do you have more thoughts on like 
being an entrepreneur and feeling that pressure of competition, especially in industries where maybe the the norm is a little bit more cutthroat or, you know, competitive, like me against you. I think naturally, like, of course, being in business, like you said, there is a competitive edge to it. So what are some ways that you can cultivate that relationship with that other photographer walking down the street where you can have her back, be in her corner, you know, like build those relationships with your industry peers versus viewing them as competitors? Do you have other thoughts there? Yes. So first, let competition fuel you. Don't let it burn you out, right? A flame can be both a a a method of propulsion to push us forward, but it can also wreak such havoc. So focus on how that competition that you feel with that person or within that industry, focus on how to, how to let that fuel you, how to let that light your fire to be innovative, to, you know, push you forward, to encourage you to try new things, right? Like let competition fuel you. Now, when it comes to actually reframing how you view someone who's your competitor, I tell a really silly story in the book about belly buttons. Um, but basically, it goes back to this idea of how we frame our social group boundaries in our mind plays a significant role. If I ask you the question, are you an any or an Audi? You're going to have mm. one of two answers, okay? But we're going to start dividing people into groups of any versus Audi. That's what happens in competition, you know? And this photographer versus that photographer. One's an any, one's an Audi. If I ask you about belly buttons, but I ask you an entirely different question and I say, do you have a belly button or not? I've now redrawn the group boundaries. There's no innies and outies. There's human beings with belly buttons, unless you're like Kyle XY for anyone who's my age and remembers um, the Disney show uh-huh. where the guy didn't have a belly button. But yes. with, with, with him as the exception here, we all have belly buttons. And so what we can do is we can work to, to redraw those boundaries. So if you see someone that you compete with in your market, you can say, oh, it's me versus them. Or you can say, we're both small business owners or we're both photographers what are we up against? Because if we look at the pandemic, it used to be photographer versus photographer, and then it became photographers versus the pandemic. Then it became business owners against this greater force that we had to fight back against because frankly, it it was threatening our lives and our livelihoods. So we had to band together, support each other, share knowledge and information, talk about how are you handling rescheduling? What is a force majeure clause? I mean, gosh, did we know that word before two years ago? No, none of us had heard force majeure, um, unless you're an attorney. But suddenly (laughs) in the pandemic, it was like every small business owner was like, hey, I just heard this. Hey, I just learned that. Hey, here's something that will help you. Because we stopped seeing each other as any and outy belly buttons. And we started seeing each other as a collective group, right? Yeah. And so sometimes it means figuring out ways where you can come together to work towards a common goal. Sometimes it means finding places where there's an enemy that is greater than both of you combined that you can work to fight against. Sometimes it goes on and on, but it's, it's about changing that perception. It's not you versus me. It's us versus what? Is it the stats that say that 20% of small businesses fail in the first year? that roughly half of them fail in the first five. Are we going to fight back against that? Because heck yes, let's fight back against that. Is it, you know, the fact that we're going to potentially have to readapt our business strategies again with the rise of the Delta variant? What are we going to do? How are we going to support each other? How are we going to make sure that we don't go through the same thing we just went through? How do we rally around one another and not just be pit against one another, you know, like one person against another because we can't agree on something? No, no, no. How do we come together and say, we're going to make sure we have each other's back. I'm going to be, I'm going to be looking out for you. You're going to be looking out for me. Mm -hmm. We're going to go through this together and we're going to get out on the other side. 
Okay. These are the types of things that shift people from competitors to comrades, to community, right? To champions of one another. It's understanding either a common goal that we're pursuing, and that's greater than the differences that would otherwise set to pit us against one another, or it's saying we have a common enemy, we're going to go out there and fight it. And it, it requires us to shift our mindset to really cognitively reframe the way that we view each other, but it can have transformational impact on ourselves and on our relationships with others. Natalie, you are a freaking joy to talk to. And I could literally, like, I'm just like, yes. Everything that you're saying, I'm just like soaking in the wisdom. I Oh, okay. We have a question that we normally ask almost every single guest. and But I want to twist it for you because I think you might have a good answer. It, the normal question is, what's the biggest lesson you've learned in business? But no, nah, we're going to throw that out the window. I want to know, <laughs> what's the biggest lesson you've learned in the process of writing this book? Because I think... Ooh. Which, whoops, I just threw that on you. Um, <laughs> surprise. <laughs> but I think you might have a good answer for that. Just because like, I think you learned so much, you researched so much writing this book, but then I feel like like you, as a, if, if anyone knows who you are, like you started a community of the rising tide that like brings people together. And then like, I think in writing this book, I just would imagine you've learned so much more, especially in the era that you've wrote, written this book. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would love, I would love to know the answer to that. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I'll give you two answers because you know me, I ramble, but I'll make them quick. <laughs> okay. The first is about the content of the book. And the second is about what I actually learned in writing it. So the biggest lesson I learned in writing this book is that we cannot exist without other people. We are literally the blending of two other people's DNA. Mm-hmm. Without our parents, we don't come to exist Without being connected to our mother's womb, we rely on another human being for our first nine months of life. And we're connected to her through a cord that literally keeps us alive. We can't exist without others. And yet we forget that when we become adults. We have been taught so fiercely that independence is a key value that we should adhere to, that we should fight for it. And that's great. But never let that cloud out also the fact that we must fight for one another. Mm. That we belong to one another. That as human beings, we cannot thrive in isolation. We must thrive together. And so in the same way that our own existence depends on two people coming together and perhaps a little Marvin Gaye, okay? (laughs) In that same respect, you know, we have to remember that in our relationships with others. We can't go at it alone. We need one another. We are created for one another. God created us to do this life together. And so mm-hmm. that's the first thing I re- just, I knew it going into writing the book, but my gosh, every indication from science to theology, from sociology, you know, to just like psychology, neuroscience, like you name what lens you want to look at it through. It doesn't matter. The answer is always the same. You need mm-hmm. other people and other people yeah. need you. And that's what makes us human. That's what makes us so uniquely human is that unique blending of independence and interdependence that desire to, to do great things on our own and yet the acknowledgement that we still belong mm-hmm. to a part of a collective, to a part of a group and trying to navigate that with, with kind of a delicate intricacy. That's why it's community over competition and not community without competition, right? Yeah. So it, that's why you know, people say like people you know, over profit, but it's not people without profit. If you're running a business, yeah. you still got to profit. So it's, it's finding that balance and knowing that we belong to one another. And we, we always have, always will. And then on the flip side, writing the book, I'll sum this up as quick as I can. Imposter syndrome is a liar. Mm. 
-hmm. It was so hard for me to sit down and write this book because I was so afraid that everything I threw onto the page was just complete and utter nonsense. Like I was so insecure about it. I, I read a lot of books. I love a lot of great writers and sitting down, it felt like this impossible task and imposter syndrome. Truly. Um, I feel like I experienced it in new degrees writing the book. And so, you know, I think another thing that I learned was imposter syndrome is a liar and just let your first draft suck. Just Mm. let it suck. Like if you're working on a project, if you're creating a small business outline, if you know, you're, you're writing a book, let it suck. Yeah. Like, don't be afraid to create something terrible the first time around. Yeah. I was so set on making it perfect, like making every sentence perfect in that first draft. And then I realized, no, the whole point of a first draft is for it to be bad. Like it's going to get mm-hmm. refined. I wouldn't expect the 16 year old version of me to be anything like the 30 year old version. God has refined me over and over and over and over and over again. And he's not done. And, you know, I I can't treat my creative process any differently and you can't either. So don't let that fear of it's not perfect yet. It's not, you know, I can't even start because it's never going to compare to somebody else. Or I can't even start because every time I go to put the words on the page or, you know, the pixels in the camera, or I try this new technique, I'm just, I'm sucking right now. Great. Suck. Be Mm -hmm. bad. Mm -hmm. Like embrace it and then learn and grow because, you know, no one, no one gave up on me when I didn't know what I was doing back in the day. They had faith and they let me work it out. They let me try and learn and grow. And so I think we owe that to ourselves and we owe it to others too. Oh, hey, freaking men. <laughs> it's just a mic drop moment. Let's I just, know. Natalie, you just need to be on a world stage. I mean, not that you aren't already, but well, let's just get you on an even bigger one because the world <laughs> needs to hear what you have to say. Like everything in this episode was just so like a, a freaking power punch of mindset shift and life changing. Like you shift this, you pursue this, your life is going to change. So thank you for being here. Where can everyone now go and read this freaking book and have their lives changed and connect with you just as a whole? Cause you're our favorite human on the face of the planet. So <laughs> drop it all. <laughs> You are awesome. You can find the book everywhere books are sold. Um, Target, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Audible, your independent bookstore. All you have to do is search for Built to Belong, Discovering the Power of Community Over Competition, or my name, Natalie Frank, um, and you can find it. You can find it online. You can also head to nataliefrank.com slash book, and I've got links to all the retailers on there. Um, Yeah, and I hope you love it, and I hope you read it. I mean it genuinely. We need this book. I wrote it for a moment such as this. I didn't know that when I was writing it, but now that we are in this season, I'm like, this is the book. Please read the book. I promise it will transform your life. So thank you both so much for having me on the podcast again. And I'm just so grateful for both of you. Oh my well, of course, we loved you having you the first time. So mm-hmm. we are all, you're always welcome on Heart and Hustle Land. I don't know what, <laughs> Heart and Hustle Land or in Heart and Hustle Land. Is that the, whatever, you get it. Um, I can't wait to read it. I'm genuinely so excited yeah. for it to come out. Obviously it's already out by the time this airs. And so we're just cheering you on. We freaking love you, Natalie. Mm-hmm. Everyone go read her book. Uh, this woman is a powerhouse, like Evie said, and she yeah. is just like, literally one of our favorite people on planet earth, but then also just one of the most inspiring, uplifting, encouraging woman. Wow. Woman. I can't talk. Woman, woman, woman on the planet. Well, I'm I'm done. I'm done. I need to be done. done. (laughs) (laughs) The best smoothest podcast. I was trying to give you a compliment and like really pour my heart out. And then it just went downhill. I love you so much. It's the pregnancy brain. It really is. Oh my gosh, I know. It's 
Yeah, I won't even tell you half the things I've done with my pregnancy brain as of late. Oh but I just love you both. <laughs> so grateful. Thank you for having me. We love you. Thank you for being here.